Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Pray first. Last week, we heard from our lead pastor, Pastor Ben, and uh, he gave his prayer for his people. And if you weren't here last week, please go back to either our YouTube channel or our Facebook page and watch that. You're going to hear his heart uh, that, that the Lord has given to him for us in this season of life. We were challenged to give God the first, the first of our year. It's January, right? And if you've come back for your second straight week, you've hit the first of our attendance, right, on Sunday morning. So you're 100% right now. And if you missed last week, this is your first start. You're 100% today, too. The first of our month, the first of our days. And in that, as you came in last week, and if you didn't get one this morning, please make sure you grab one of our 21 days of prayer and a little basket on your way out. It's a guide. And don't feel like, oh, I missed last week, I'm already behind. No, you're not. Just pick it up. You're going to start right in today with the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to pray these things through together, okay? Did you miss a few days? Don't give up. Just get back on. Start over today. You feel like you failed in the 15 minutes we were encouraging? That's okay. Today's a new day. Pick up. Start again. And if 15 minutes was too much, do what you can. Start somewhere. And let's continue to do this together Prayer I found in my ministry and life throughout all of it, from youth ministry all the way through senior pastor ministry in my time here, is that, that prayer is a lot like scripture, and I find that most people believe that, that they can do more of it. I have met, in fact, I'm just going to say personally, I've never met anybody that said, nope, I'm good on prayer, I pray plenty. I have never met anybody that's like, oh yeah, that reading the Bible thing, I do more of that than I really probably need to. In fact, usually it's the opposite, isn't it? We all have areas that we desire to grow into and and give the Lord more in. The challenge then is this. It's it's not recognizing the need for prayer then, is it? Because we all can recognize that we need or, or perhaps ought to be doing that. Rather, the challenge often is a discipline that I believe can lead to desire for prayer. We actually have to do it right? Uh, I know I might look like I still stay in decent shape. I was born with an incredibly fast metabolism, all right? And some of you are like, oh, I'd love to have that. Trust me, it has its disadvantages, okay? Just ask my wife. I get hangry. Hangry is a real thing for us skinny folk, but it's superficial, it's a facade, it can look better than what it is. And I know that I am not living the best healthy lifestyle that the Lord would call me to be living in. And he's really, really working on me to begin changing that. But here's the deal, I recognize I need to do that, okay? But what has to be done? Come on. I gotta do it. I gotta wake up. I've gotta put in the act. I have to start Somewhere. It's not enough to just recognize the need. We actually have to begin somewhere. And often that's with a discipline that I believe the Lord desires to turn into delight. Our desire then is to recognize that and do something about it. It's 
is follow through. And the good news for us today, if you find yourself in that position today, the Bible is full of people just like us. If we read Matthew chapter 26, I love the story. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying before his arrest. And he asks his disciple, or he says to them in 2638, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Can you stay here and keep watch with me? And then it says Jesus goes a a little way further, and he begins to pour out his heart to the Father. And then he comes back, and what does he find them doing? They were asleep. You ever fall asleep praying? I've done that. It's why I don't pray a whole lot. But like my prayers before I go to bed are really short and simple, all right? Because I found myself falling asleep. It's easy. You get cozy. And so Jesus says this in 4041, couldn't you men keep watch just for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, you'd think that'd be enough, right? Like, okay, we got, we got busted. It happens two more times. Two more times, same thing. Now, here's what this is not this morning. This is not an excuse for us to be like the disciples, all right? Rather, it points us towards Jesus and his prayer life, because that's what he was doing to his disciples. We see Jesus modeling this idea of praying first in all seasons of his life to his disciples. When things are good, we pray. When things aren't going so well, we pray. When we feel a little indifferent, we pray. Any and all circumstances of life, wherever you're at today, our first orientation as Jesus taught is to go to the Lord in prayer. We share that together. That's good news. And the disciples see this being modeled, to which they eventually say in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1, these wonderful words. Lord, it's at the end of this year. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, we don't know exactly how John taught his disciples to pray, simply that he taught them to pray. And Jesus' disciples are now saying to Jesus, after watching him out, they're ready for the question, Jesus, will you teach us to pray like you pray? And Jesus responds then in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, he doesn't waste any time, okay? He says to them, when you pray, say. Isn't that good news? The disciples ask, and Jesus responds. And we're going to get to that prayer here in a few moments. And I just want to set you up. The bulk of this sermon this morning is not going to be teaching about every phrase of the Lord's Prayer. I am hopeful you will take your 21 days of prayer journal, and over the next several days, we'll read through in which it will guide you through every single one of those moments, okay? So, so that's kind of the application of the prayer. What I would like to discuss today is looking at uh, just kind of our motivation and our heart that Jesus is teaching us in this prayer. Because we also find this is part uh, of a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. That's recorded in the book of Matthew. And we see that this is often in our culture today called the Lord's Prayer. But if we really look at this, it's probably better titled the Disciples' Prayer. 
Because this is a prayer Jesus fully intended for his followers to pray. In fact, if we want to see Jesus' prayer for his disciples, and you can write this down, turn to John chapter 17. In John 17, you're going to see Jesus' prayer for his disciples, I believe, and for us. In fact, part of that, you know, is it's not my desire that, that you take them out of this world, but, Lord, that you keep them in it so the kingdom of God can continue to push back the darkness. That's Jesus' prayer for his disciples. This, then, is, is a prayer that we, as his followers, might pray. And I believe that Jesus fully expected them to pray this. You know, I think Jesus is wise. I think he's truthful. And I believe he meant what he said here and fully expected his disciples to pray this prayer. And I want to talk about why today and why it's still important 2,000 years later is still important for us today when Jesus says, when you pray, say. I believe this prayer realigns us with the kingdom of God. I believe Jesus used a familiar language in this to help his followers memorize this and pray this, not just once, but multiple times throughout their day. I believe, furthermore, this prayer connects us corporately today as his people as well as historically with all those that have gone before us and into the future, those that will come after us. You see, I believe Jesus had great intentionality in the way even in which this was spoken. Jesus used a literary style of his day, which is also a style of our day known as a poem, right? And I screw that word, poem. Anybody say poem? I grew up, I don't know what happened. I just grew up in a weird way. So if you hear me say that, forgive me. I know it's poem. It just doesn't always come out that way, right? A poem has a, a certain rhythm, right? It, it has a, a certain form, and it was common in Jesus' days in which writers would use this, and they would use it to express turning points in culture, and this would continue all throughout history, and it's even used today. In fact, they have a specific rhythm that often helps us remember them, doesn't it? And often they're full of meaning. Here's what I love about the Lord's Prayer and its simplicity, and uh, my wife has kind of brought this quote to resurgence in our life, but I believe it actually came from Augustine, in which he states this in regards to the gospel. You'll love this, right? It is shallow enough for a baby to play in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. That's the beauty of this prayer that we're going to pray this week, is that regardless of where you're at, it's going to be able to speak into your life from those that are just coming and those that have been serving the Lord faithfully for your entire life. This style is used often today in our culture and music. In fact, I would argue that many of you may not remember a whole lot of what I say today, but you'll remember some of the songs as you leave this place. Some of you already like, I'm going to be singing, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love all week. I'm going to be singing, I depend on you. Oh, those are great truths of Scripture. They're not just songs that are meaningless and void. They're testimonies of the truth of Scripture written in poetry, put to music. That helps us remember. Folks, that's nothing new, and that is exactly what Jesus was doing. So in the midst of this, we find this song has then endured generations. 
I have a song I like to you just listen to. It's 30 seconds, something like that. If you guys could kind of play that. Some of you will know this song. How many of you know the title? So I see some of you guys shaking your head. And some of you are like, what is this? Some of y'all singing it. Y'all were hippies, weren't you? And I want you to think about this from a, some of you to say, like, where you were at when you heard this? What was going on? My recollection of this song was from the movie Forrest Gump, Don't Judge Me. But it was played through, see, like during Vietnam, because that's the time period that this was set. Anybody know who sang that song? Some of you do? Buffalo Springfield? All right. Um, in fact, uh, maybe some of you will know uh, a man by the name of Stephen Stills wrote that song, who would later be part of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, right? And if you don't know those things, pick back up on your 70s folk rock, all right? <laughs> If you've watched movies that have portraits of Vietnam, you're going to hear that. And things that surrounded that would have been Vietnam in the, the mid to late 60s through the 70s. We find even the weekend that we celebrate the assassination of Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, is in this time period. Woodstock was in this time period. Here's what's fascinating. That song was written in 1967 and had absolutely nothing to do with any of those things. You know, he wrote that about a music curfew that was happening on the Las Vegas Strip. <laughs> and everybody thinks it's about Vietnam. And still, even to this day, that song continues to go. And some of you can remember where you were at or the life that you were living, maybe when you heard that. And that's what a song does. I can tell you there's certain songs that, that remind me of where I was. This last week, uh, I heard a song, I think it's called So Close. It was a Disney song from the movie Enchanted. That's what my wife and I danced to uh, for our first dance. And this last week, I heard it on the radio, and it took me back to that moment. Beautiful thing. See, music has a way of doing that and transcending even the time period from which it was written. So it can ignite passions. It can unite people even long after it's been given. And I believe Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote this. I believe Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he used this in such simple language that, that anybody could memorize it and use it and put it into practice. You see, this song reorients us towards the Father. This song, this poem, reorients us toward others. This poem is exactly what Jesus says are the greatest commands. Remember those in scripture? That we ought to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And then Jesus says the second is like it, that we ought to do the same for. I want you to think about that when you're praying this prayer this week, because that's exactly what it's doing. And so we find in the Gospel of Matthew 22, 37 through 39, those beautiful commands. But then the question comes to me of conviction this morning, then why have so many stopped praying this prayer? Are you one of them? I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm one of them. And I have reasons that I thought were right. It's repetition. I memorized it. I was just saying a bunch of words. Here's what I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me to this week. The problem is not with the prayer, folks, okay? The 
The problem is not with this beautiful poem that Jesus penned for his disciples. The problem is with you and I. The problem is with me, not the prayer. So today, might I encourage us that for some of us, maybe we begin something new. Or maybe for some of us that have just kind of let it lay dormant as to not let it just be something that happens, maybe it reignites a passion. Maybe it reignites a desire to pray and to pray this to the Father. One that might mark a turning point in our life. One that would mark a turning point in the culture of this church and this community. One that has the ability to energize and to cultivate new and regular habits of prayer. One that will help us realign our hearts with both the Father and others. And I want to begin then just by looking back a a few verses to Jesus' sermon that he was teaching people in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And in this sermon, we find that some people had lost focus of God's kingdom. They were often called the religious. And Jesus responds to them as he teaches to realign this focus toward God. And in that, he gives three warnings specifically in this little section concerning prayer. Jesus continues then in part of the broader section of this text to address the heart of righteousness. The first warning that he gives is on public display in a manner in which others will see. So in that time period, the religious people would pray three very specific times per day. Regardless of where they were at and what was happening, at that time, they would posture themselves and begin to pray. And this started as something that was very good for them. It was a a discipline that reoriented their day towards God, but unfortunately, sometimes their hearts began to grow corrupt, and now it became about their own self-righteousness and piousness. And so some, not all, would, when this time would come, regardless of where they'd at, they'd make a big spectacle as to say, look at me, look how righteous I am. I don't think they're all too. I remember some of my early years, uh, I'd go out to a restaurant, and I'd pray. And I just want to make sure people saw me praying. And not because I was really concerned about the Lord blessing my food, but rather because in my insidious little heart, I wanted others to say, look how righteous that guy is. Isn't that so sweet? Don't, Don't tell me I'm the only one here. I remember days praying, hoping somebody might see me just because that 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 might change their view. And I've had to let the Lord check my heart and inspect me in those areas because he gives a very harsh warning here to those that were doing that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites were those in theater that wore a mask. That was to say, I look really good here, but inside I'm a totally different person. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. And they love to pray in the street corners so that they might be seen by others. He's not saying you can't pray in public. Rather, he's checking our hearts to say, why are you praying in public? Is it so others see you? And then he says this, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so then Jesus realigns, okay? Tracking with me here? 
He realigns this warning in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, again, Jesus is guessing or telling us that we all ought to be praying. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I know some of you all have like prayer rooms and prayer closets. In this day and age, they didn't have quite that kind of space. Often multiple families would live in the same house. And so please don't get this imagery that they had this closet that was designed where nobody else was. Jesus is telling them, go find a place where you can do this before the Lord and have a heart and motivation that is oriented towards him, not what others might see you do. Maybe some of us this morning need to reorient our prayers and pray especially when nobody else knows. Maybe it's in the early hours of the morning. Maybe it's while you're going. Jesus gets to the point and says, what's your motivation? Because your motive is more important than your action. Warning two He warns against the repetitive prayer of pagans. So these are people that held religious beliefs outside of the one true God. And they would pray over and over again, trying to manipulate or coerce their gods into giving them what they want. I love the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And if you remember in that, they began to pray and they just kept pleading and asking and praying the same thing, hoping that they could coerce their gods into consuming the altar of fire. And listen, folks, I hear this a lot in the church because I think there's some of us that only pray because we want something from God and not something always that's his will, but our will. Okay, God, here's what I really need from you, as if we know what we really need, right? God, if you'll just give me a little more of this, if you'll just bless me with this, if you'll just take care of that, and we try to coerce him like somehow he's the genie in the lamp and we get three wishes. It's not Christianity. It's not faith in God. It's coercion and manipulation. And God's saying, don't do that. It's not saying we can't repeat our prayers. Jesus does that in the garden, right? He gets down, he says, Father, please take this cup from me. He pleads with him. But his heart wasn't trying to manipulate or coerce God. He was simply expressing his despair. That's getting to this heart of the religious pagans to say, listen to me, I am not a God that is coerced or motivated by your greed or your self-seeking. I wonder if your prayers are like mine a lot of times and that they're mostly about you. In fact, I would say often my prayers can sound like this if I'm not careful. Help me, help me, help me. Save me, save me, save me. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, right? I've been there. Or you're in the foxhole like, oh, Lord, save me now. I'm sliding on the ice. I don't know what's going to happen. Or this bad situation's happened because I created. Now we're trying to ask the Lord to bail us out. Prayer is not about manipulating or changing God. Prayer is about changing me. It's about changing you. It's about changing us. That's a heart. That's a motivation that says, Lord, I desire you. The last warning then is a warning that comes later. It's after, but I felt like it was important in this text, and that is harboring unforgiveness. Because in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to pray that. Lord, forgive me, my sins, as I forgive the sins of others. 
Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Here's the warning, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Folks, there is a mandate that as we receive forgiveness, right, it's from him to us, this this vertical movement that is his responsibility that he then calls us to then extend that to others. Forgiving others, I hope you hear this morning with grace, is not optional. And it's not God's desire for you to live in that bondage. See, forgiveness is part of the core of this kingdom movement that Jesus came to, bring, to, to usher in. I am forgiven and, and called as a disciple then of Jesus to forgive. Do you ever see Jesus just try to get even in Scripture? I don't think you'll find it. In fact, let me just say you won't find it. And he calls us then to do the same. And, and that's not our natural tendency. There's moments when I'm wronged. Sometimes my human response wants to get even. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit speaks a better word, one that sustains, one that invites us into this freedom that Christ has given to us that we then give to others. Real quickly here, let me tell you, because sometimes we get confused on what forgiveness is. And so I want to tell you just quickly what it's not. Forgiveness is not condoning or forgetting, okay? It doesn't mean that we just forget and it's all like water under the bridge. You know, you've heard that. Or it just rolls off my back. It, it doesn't always mean that. It's not condoning wrong behavior. Forgiveness is not without consequence. When we sin or, or do something we know is not what the Lord has for us, there are often consequences for that. And others live into that too. The other is Uh, Simply, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two parties to reconcile, right? You'll find often there are people that wrong you that do not want reconciliation. However, forgiveness, here's where it gets real, only takes one. Can I say it only takes me, and then can I, without you thinking too harshly, it only takes you? It only takes you to forgive through the power of the Holy Spirit, to come to that place where you can at least wish somebody well. What's your heart and what's your motivation then for forgiveness? And so then when we get to the Lord's Prayer, we're going to find then that it's not just these repetitious words. It's not trying to coerce God by doing this. It's not living a life that harbors unforgiveness, but rather it's a matter of the heart that I believe truly can change us. It's not so much a command as much as it is an invitation to say, to pray this. It's not so much a formula to get what you want as much as it is a model to guide us. It's not so much an outward expression that men might see as much as an inward change. The focus is God. And it's the continuation of a movement that he began, that just like a song will transcend time, culture, situation, seasons, and yes, even crisis. I prayed this prayer growing up every night of my life. I had a wonderful Christian family. 
Um, my father and mother, we had family devotions at night, and, and we still do that with our daughter, Nora. And we would gather, and we'd hear a Bible story, and then we would pray together. And after we prayed together every night, we would pray the Lord's Prayer. I learned this at a very, very young age. Some of you are aware, some of you maybe you're not, uh, that my father passed away at the age of 46 in 1992. I was 12 years old. He died of cancer. I remember watching him. If you've watched people die of cancer, those memories are there as well. I can see him laying on our couch in our living room, his face yellow because his body was no longer getting rid of the waste, and so it had just backed up. It was, it was not pretty. I remember coming in after I had gotten word. We had some friends and family that allowed me to come over while, while he was passing, basically. And I came in, and, and there's my father, who's no longer with us. And we all knelt, and we didn't, you know, what do you say? And then it was very clear what we say as he taught Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It's to say you're a father that I trust and honor. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For you see, the kingdom is breaking into earth, not just separated, as if it's just something we get when we die. <laughs> Give us today our daily bread. We remember Jesus is the bread of life, and he is always enough for what we need today. And forgive us our sin. As we forgive others who've sinned against us, it helps me recognize I need to forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. We pray first before we enter into the things of this life that might tempt us, but deliver us from the evil one. Listen, folks, you can't resist the devil on your best day with your best strength. We need his strength. And then as the early church would add, okay, and I believe this is, this is fitting, okay, as a church perspective, they would add, it's known as the doxology. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for remember in that moment at our worst, when I didn't want to pray, when I didn't know what to pray, and if I'm being honest, I was just in distress, that that prayer transcended our circumstances and reoriented our hearts towards our Heavenly Father. I ask you this morning, would you join together and commit to maybe for some of you learning this for the very first time? And maybe for some of you that maybe it's become sporadic or maybe the temptation to believe I've, it's just a bunch of repetitious words that perhaps we approach this and ask the Holy Spirit to breathe his life and back into this prayer for us, to change me, to change us. Would you commit to praying that then with boldness? I love in the text that surrounds this, there's an idea of what does it mean to come to the Lord, and one uh, translation says we come to him with shameless audacity. I love that word. In other words, bold persistence. 
that you believe that God is who he says he is, we can trust him, and that he desires to hear our hearts. And we present those with shameless audacity, boldness, and persistence to believe that God can. Amen? So I invite you to stand with me this morning. And we're going to pray this together. And I know through the years and through Bible translations, we have some differences in the language. I believe all of us have tried to get this as close to we can. And so if, if you'll be, just for this morning, I believe I've included a little bit more of what I would consider as my prayer and a little more modern. I don't use the word hallowed much in life today, uh, but I do use the word holy quite frequently in regards to the Lord. And, and so, but I hope you know it's, it's not about which translation you're using, but rather you bringing yourself to a posture and reorienting yourself with the kingdom of God this morning. We do this individually, but this week, if you look around you, what's it look like if we're all saying this throughout the week? We are united corporately and collectively, aren't we? And not just here, but all over the world. That's beautiful news, right? So we say together this morning, we have these on the screen for us today. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So now, in his name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as you leave this place, might you sense a reorientation to God our Father as we pray this prayer together this week and as we trust him to make us more like Jesus today than we were before we came. For God is good. And all the time, God bless you guys. I love you. I hope you have a wonderful week. Blessings. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.